Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. We've done our ritualistic capiola, which we are not going to explain. Clapiola, excuse me. Shout out to our super producer, Mr. Max Williams. What, what? I bet you're Nolan. Nolan. Clapiola sounds like some weird, like, uh, kind of Renaissance instrument that is no longer uh, (laughs) popular. You can't pluck the strings. You have to clap on them. Mm -hmm. I love it. Uh, We have done so much cool research over the years and we make no secret that there's often a lot of stuff we don't get to in the course of one episode or another but we're we're just sponges for all the ridiculous strange stories of people places and events throughout human history so we we end up saving all of this. We hoard these weird stories and we decided a while back that we're going to make a series of all the stuff that got left over. Uh, In a burst of creativity, we call it the stuff that got left over. And this is part two of that series. And um, Noel scrolling through our our, um, research uh, nibs, our odds and ends. Snippets. That's where we keep all the snippets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we go. Uh, I think we we found some stuff that we just we just could not leave off the air. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Where should we begin? Oh, how about Stan Hugel, the last shantyman? The shantyman. Yes, indeed. <laughs> I don't know what a shantyman. I mean, I, I, I'm assuming we're talking about sea shanties, or I don't know. What are we doing? What, what's, we what's, are. Okay, we great. are. Mm-hmm. So I got to jump in here real quick because uh, Stan Hugel, or I, I don't know, actually know how the last name is pronounced. I've been saying Hugel for years. He is someone I've been trying to do some sort of podcast episode about for forever. The problem is there's like. 
an out, a couple out of print works of his, and there's like a BBC obituary of him, and that's about it. But he's this interesting story where there is a chance that every sea shanty that we know today is because this guy kept track of him. I think I've mentioned before that I, I felt woefully excluded from the sea shanty trend. Like I didn't find out about it until later. I, it's just one of those things that just sort of passed me by. I don't know why. But then we, you know, we've talked about on the show multiple times that you and our buddy Matt Frederick had a nice uh, sea shanty moment in uh, Southern California. We were traveling together. We all maybe were a few sheets to the wind, and uh, we, we 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 hung out on a corner in Hermosa Beach and sang. What is it? Oh, oh, oh the Wellerman song. Yeah, well, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Soon may the Wellerman come. Mm, bring us and rum. Shum, shum, dum, dibby, dum, dum, dum. That's, that's what a sea shanty is. Uh, we called them, we decided to call them street shanties. I think that was back when, yeah. when we were, all three of us, uh, a bit more fond of tipples than we are presently. And we we had a wholesome time. We, it was Oh, uh, boy, did we ever. <laughs> it was celebratory. And, uh, you know, it. It being Southern California, it, I, it was surprising to me how uh, people passing by would give us kind of an approving nod. No one, like no one joined us to be sure, to be certain, but people could, I think our wholesome Inter- buzzed energy was contagious. And it turns out, as our pal Max indicated earlier, that we owe a lot of this to a guy named Stan Hugill or Hugill. Uh, this topic started as one for a beautiful show that really shows us the potential of podcasting called Ephemeral that Max and Alex and several other of our colleagues made. Uh, available today, by the way, you can listen, you'll hear all sorts of familiar voices popping in and out of various episodes. And like like Max said, it's tough to find research on our pal Stan. Uh, there really isn't too much out there about him. Those out-of-print books are incredibly difficult to find. Uh, but we thought we'd give Stan his flowers or his his shanty credits. Uh, he, the shantyman shan't be denied. Uh, let's learn a little bit. Can't more. he? Can't he? Can't nor no. He can't be denied. He shan't. Um, Simon Moffat uh, is is a, an expert on on this fellow and wrote a really cool article for the BBC called "The Last Shantyman," uh, where he says it should come as no surprise that the king of the sea shanty, the legendary Stan Hugel, came from Merseyside. And you know, I saw Merseyside. And it uh, made me think of a popular, I think, music publication that ended up kind of becoming the name of a of a genre, Mercy Beat, um, which is kind of the proto sound of like bands like the Beatles. Um, mm. So Mercy Beat was sort of this like folky kind of type of vibe, and it sort of evolved into you know what we know as some of the British invasion kind of sounds, but. Mercy refers to the River Mercy, and Liverpool, of course, is where the Beatles are from, uh, is on the eastern side of the river's estuary. And this this idea of a sea shanty, uh, for anybody who, like us, missed the original <clears throat> wave of resurgence, I'm not taking it back. Uh, uh, let's explain what sea shanties are. These are work songs. They have a lot in common with maybe songs that people would sing when they are doing agricultural work in fields or in prison labor, uh, which is uncomfortable. They're much more grizzled. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so what you what you would do is you'd be sailing in the 1800s or the early 20th century, and you have a lot of hard, repetitive, difficult work involved just to keep a sailing vessel on the move. Liverpool figured prominently in a lot of these shanties, as our pal Moffat tells us, because most of the crew of these ships either came from that city or passed through it at some point. Now, Stan, who was born in Hoy Lake in 1906, became the sort of, um, I don't want to say gatekeeper because I don't like that connotation, but he became the great aggregator, the great collector of this tradition. Who was that guy in the U.S. who collected all those traditional songs in the world of folklore? Oh, gosh. It you was, know who was, I'm talking about. It was, it was brothers, Lomax. Lomax, yes, yes. His bro- he had a brother as well. A free sea shanty to you, sir. Congratulations. Yes, the Lomaxes. Uh, So our our buddy Stan first goes to sea when he's just 16 years old in 1922. It's not uncommon to get involved in that industry at that age, even earlier, to be honest. He spent more than two decades working on the seas before he retired in 1945. And according to the experts, he is the last shantyman to sail on the last British commercial sailing ship, which was called the Garth Pool. Ah, the Garth Pool. But um, despite, you know, you can take the man out of the sea, but you can't take the sea shanty out of the, the man. Um, he, his love of the sea uh, never waned for an instant. And um, he became sort of a, like you said, Ben, like kind of like a vanguard of this uh, oral tradition. He became an instructor of an outward bound sea school um, and a marine artist and produced uh, actually a lot of paintings as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he made, yeah, he made over 250 oil paintings of ships and sea landscapes or seascapes, I should say. He also was a prolific author. He wrote five different books on sea shanties. Those are very specific books. And he made a lot of appearances on radio and television. He was also, to our earlier conversation about translations, he was also a polyglot. He was fluent in Spanish. Okay, good. That's an achievement. But it's even more impressive to note he was fluent in Japanese and he spoke Malay. Yeah, and Chinese and Maori because he was sailing around all the time. And, you know, in at least some of those legs of uh, work, he his shipmates probably spoke these languages, which is the best way to learn one. I was about to say, it just comes from just being around it, being sort of steeped in it through his travels. He, he knew various dialects of Polynesian. I didn't even know that was a thing. But uh, it, it is this sort of honorific of being the last shantyman uh, that he will largely, you know, his legacy kind of rests on. And uh, this article, um, you know, kind of collects uh, in the spirit of the oral tradition a lot of folks, you know, who are kind of part of this community, you know, which is uh, a little bit niche. You know, this is the sea shanty community. And Jack Coots is one of them who is originally from uh, Dundee, uh, but now uh, resides in Liverpool. And he sings with a group based out of Merseyside uh, called Storm Along John. I, I'm really waiting for it to have a and the mm-hmm. something something. Sure. But it's okay. And the, it's and okay. the Hugels and stuff. Sure. Why not? Storm Along John and the Albatross Boys would be a there good reference. Go. Yeah. It's crazy because... Everybody in the sort of sea shanty knows of Stan. And and Jack says the following. He says, Stan was a legend, literally. He wrote the Bible as far as shanty singers are concerned. 
And Jack recalls he traveled to Krakow in Poland with Storm Along John and Stan when Stan was already in his 80s. And he saw Stan the man himself entertain an audience of more than a thousand people, much younger than him, by the way, uh, with his shanties, which apparently still slap. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts of a spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right. No, it's it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. To the point about the resurgence of sea shanties a few years back, which which we uh, we were late to, I got to tell you guys, my favorite parody uh, shanty comes from the Trailer Park Boys. You remember them, the Canadian? Oh, huge fan. I don't. I don't think I'm remembering a, a, a sea shanty episode though. I might. I might have missed that one. Oh, tell, I, tell us. I think they just filmed it for kicks because they are out all actually friends outside of yeah, the show right. and. Uh, the guy with the Coke bottle glasses, Bubbles. Bubbles. He, yeah, actually has a really good voice, singing voice. And they have a sea shanty entirely about kitties. 
you know, he, he loves the kitties and uh, Bubbles, um, I forget the actor's name, he's just Bubbles to me, actually has a touring band uh, called Bubbles and the Shit Rockers. <laughs> and um, they uh, are supposed to be coming to Atlanta. There's someone that I met through podcasting uh, in the past who's Canadian, because uh, they're Canadian, and he actually plays second guitar in the shit rockers so i really hope to uh let you guys know when when bubbles and the shit rockers are coming through atlanta i mean we can all go check it out and back to our friend the legend stan stan sadly passed away in 1992 in aberystwyth in wales and he was in uh his pretty humble abode a two up two down cottage two rooms on the upstairs, two rooms on downstairs. And by that point, it had become a living museum for marine historians, shanty singers, and fans of shanty music. And you can still find some of his shanty books, but they are out of print, just to be clear. Most people will tell you that the majority of sea shanties, if not all of the traditional sea shanties we know today, come to us thanks to Stan and his lifelong work preserving this bit of history. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, these would have kind of existed spontaneously in these very isolated, you know, kind of uh, niche groups of folks. And unless you had someone making a conscious effort to preserve them, they probably would have just kind of, you know, be, been ephemeral, you know, mm-hmm. which is sort of what their very nature was. And you also have to wonder, too, like, how many of these did he write? How many of these was he sort of tweaking based on versions of them that he'd heard? You know, here again, editing and, and translation kind of comes into the the picture here because it's all about what was the spirit of the sea shanty did he take a little creative liberty with them you know i'm I'm curious but we'll probably never really know also one other crazy fact i could not get any uh confirmation from this so this is from uh the wikipedia article about san hugill uh once again there's not that much writing about it he was a prisoner of war in world war ii for four and a half years jesus yeah yeah. There's only one sentence in the Wikipedia article about that, too, so there's no more reference, but I did want to throw that in. You can well. understand why he might not want to talk about that too much, right? But uh, <laughs> there's this brings us to another, another thing that got left over from a previous episode. In August of 2022, we had a follow-up conversation. Speaking of niche interests, uh, we were very taken at the time with presidential pets. We talked about how Abe Lincoln, uh, most famous for being an amateur wrestler, of course, loved cats. Uh, but Got a good reach on him. Yeah, he had the reach. Uh, but we didn't get to talk about William Howard Taft, who had uh, some unusual pets, he really was into cows. Yeah, mooly, mooly, wooly. <laughs> Not to be confused with woolly bully, which is a 60s song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with very deep lyrics. Watch Big out. Time. He'll get you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Taft was, as if uh, you may or may not know, the 27th president of these United States. Um, during his time in the White House, uh, he was had a reputation, like you said, for having some kind of quirky pets uh, around, um, specifically cows. Um, he did have a more traditional pet, a dog, um, but he also had two cows uh, that are regularly listed uh, in in the um, presidential account of his his pets. Uh, we have Wooly, Mully, and Pauline. <laughs> yes. No, Mully, Wooly. See, it's really easy to mix those up. Mully, Mully. Is it a Mully? It must be because it's a moo. Mully, Wooly. Or maybe I said Mully, Wooly. That's complicated. Mully, uh, Wooly? Mully, Wooly. That's what my it's kid calls me. It's Mully, Wooly. 
that's how they pronounce it. Yeah. And, and Fair then enough. The and then, of course, the, the much more standard Pauline. So, of course, Taft has a first lady. It's his wife, Helen Taft, popularly known as Nellie. And when they go to the White House, they take their children. They also take Mooly Wooly. And it's a bit controversial, but the boffins and the legislators look around and they say, hey, there are no ordinances against it. There are no laws. There are no local regulations. So they let let this cow out to graze on the south lawn of the White House. Also, as the president, man, if he wants to have cows on the lawn, he's going to figure out a way to have cows on the lawn, you know, That's specifically true. the south lawn. Yeah, yeah, they, but they, also like said, we, they'd be munching away at grass. We have to point out too that the um, there was definitely propaganda and political point scoring at this time, but it wasn't like the age of the internet now. You know, now a president could get excoriated for uh, wearing a suit that is seen as an inappropriate color. If a president now bought a cow to the White House. There would be a huge to do on social media. It's a different time, uh, but we have to we have to go to some research by Molly Mazier Wertheimer in her book "Inventing a Voice: The Rhetoric of American First Ladies of the 20th Century." She said that Nellie Taft played a big role in having cattle at the White House because she was uh, trying to get the first family out of the horse and buggy era. And yeah, so Nellie looks at the prices of automobiles and she says, this is through the roof, it's a bad financial decision. And she goes, okay, look, if you give us a discount, we will allow auto manufacturers to advertise at the White House and she's still kind of troubled by the cost, so she looks for other ways to save money for the first family and for the nation, and adding a cow was actually part of their plan to be thrifty because they could use Wooly Wooly's milk and butter at the White House. So, you know, this is way before the farm-to-table movement. This was just when that was a legitimate reality. Well, not only is it thrifty, but it's uh, delicious. You know, I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's fresh. Can't beat, can't beat the fresh stuff. You really can't. But didn't she also allow the um, auto manufacturers to like advertise? Yeah, yeah. That's at the White House. I, I don't understand what that consists of. Like, put up billboards. Like, what are we talking? She just ha- perhaps hosted events for them. Or it what? could be a couple things. It could be a lot. It could be up to hosting events. I mean, it wasn't something as tacky as a big banner. In front, like at the <laughs> the front door, but uh, you could also see advertising as access, like allowing auto manufacturers into um, into formal events where they can maybe talk about the American automobile and its advantages. That that's the kind of advertising that would be tremendously powerful. But the the thing is, thinking out of the box, yes, it's amazing. It's part of American innovation. The problem was that. Mooly Wooly apparently never quite made enough milk or, you know, in the later butter to satisfy the needs of the family. At this point, without body shaming, we do have to we do have to mention that uh, Molly Wertheimer in her book says that uh, Taft weighed around 350 pounds. So he might have wanted more milk and butter than say. Give me more milk and butter. <laughs> yeah. I'm totally, I could get out of this tub by myself. He exactly. Could. Yeah. 
That That's a true story. But now they have a really large bathtub in the White House. See? Win-win. <laughs> and, uh, and so what about uh, Pauline the cow? Sources report that Pauline was brought in to replace Muli Wooly. But there are other sources that say that Muli Wooly uh, unfortunately passed away due to an overabundance of oats, uh, overindulging in oats. Um, two years earlier, in 1910, Taz's previous cow, Muli Wooly, uh, this is the quote here, um, did in fact die after eating too many oats. She had never been instructed by experts that oats are for horses. Dang it, Mooly Wooly. If only someone had told you. Mm, I know that. I thought hay was for horses. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, well, <laughs> the Washington Evening Star publishes something like an obituary, but it's a bit tongue-in-cheek, uh, and they say, poor Mooly Wooly. But still, a presidential pet uh, is – it is an accolade that most animals cannot attest to. And we can say confidently that these two cows probably had a better life than most of the other cows in America then and today. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick – and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex and then he's very vulnerable so you can kill him easily to die for is available now listen for free on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts hey i'm rachel martin you probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go right there's a host a guest and a light q a on npr's new podcast wild card we have ripped up the typical script it's part existential deep dive and part game show. I ask actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to ask some of life's biggest questions. Listen to NPR's Wildcard on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. So let's uh, pivot from, from presidential cows to, uh, to hot tubs. The flurry, flurry of activity uh, a natural, beneath the bubbling waters. Natural segue, right? Those two, <laughs> these two topics followed naturally. Yeah, uh, October twentieth. Taft liked the tub. 
There we, we go. That. No, okay, yeah, good save. Uh, October 20th, 2022, uh, we talk about hot tubs. We talked about the history of hot tubs. And then we started talking about very cool, super posh or uh, stunning hot tubs that none of your faithful correspondents can can afford to go to now. Just to be honest with you, like we make our living doing podcasting and Noel and I have various side gigs, but we're not quite in the echelon of people who go to hot tubs like the observatory at Alta Lakes in Telluride, yeah. Colorado. They don't invite us to the hot tubs at Davos. Yet. You know? Yeah. No, yeah. Telluride does seem like a beautiful place. I've really never been to Colorado at all, but I have heard Telluride is beautiful and they have a film festival there called the Telluride Film Festival. But uh, the observe, I mean, I'm sure this observatory at Alta Lakes uh, is highly trafficked by uh, film festival goers of the upper echelons. Um, the observatory at Alta Lakes is a super posh lodge just outside Telluride's ski boundary area that you can only get to by snowmobile or on skis um, because it's like, like overlook hotel in the winter style, you know, has no uh, access uh, via road because it just gets totally snowed over. And we also know that if you go there, you will have some fantastic skiing opportunities right outside your door. You can also hire a guide from the local San Juan Outdoor Adventures company to show you the uh, lay of the land. In summer, you can climb these 13,000-foot peaks. There are these amazing mountain bike trails right from the lodge. But the best part of it, as advertised often, is the view of the San Juans from the Dex Outdoor Hot Tub. May I tell you, you know what rich people love for What's vacation that? spots? What's that? Inaccessible places. Oh, God. Yeah, no, you're it's, absolutely it's because right. Because you, you can only get there via snowmobile right. or helicopter right. or like jet, jet pack. You, you can, know what I mean? You, like, can yeah. only, you can only reach this exclusive grotto in a magic boat where you have to answer three questions from exactly. a, a gnome and then and they can only happen in like the ellip, uh, eclipse times. How else are they going to keep the riffraff out? You know, it's, it's, it's understandable. I've been, you know, you guys know I've, I've been in those situations and it's weird because once you get to those places, I'll be completely honest. Once you get to those places, uh, a lot of it feels like people trying to justify why they're there and trying to make things feel maybe a little more fun than they are because you sure. really are in the middle of nowhere. Well, you know, we're sort of ragging on the, the, the super wealthy here a little bit. But um, this place, when you actually do the math, if you had enough uh, pals, um, not insane considering it's, I think, 2000 bucks a night and it'll accommodate up to 12 guests. It's only 166 bucks a night, you know, per guest. I mean, that's hell. You can't get a holiday in for that price. <laughs> yeah, and... This is not the only cool hot tub. We've got two others we wanted to mention. There's the Puma Lodge in Chile. And in 2015, a company named Earth River Expeditions began offering lodge-to-lodge trips down uh, Chile's legendary Futalufa River. You spend nine days rafting through some pretty intense whitewater, Class 4 and Class 5, and you sleep in these deluxe 
Primo accommodations each night. The remote Puma Lodge, which will be the home base for two nights, uh, has a wood-fired outdoor tub. Super, super classy. Yeah, wood-fired tub just seems so inconvenient. Like it does a little bit, but, but I would assume that the uh, the premises come with you know uh, servants or footmen to to stoke the fires of the uh, wood fire. I I don't think they're asking people to keep an eye on the fire themselves. Obviously, I don't. Know, the, one would hope. The fire's in the tub with you if you look at the photo. Mm-hmm. But I'm assuming somebody comes by every few minutes and puts a new piece in for you. Oh yeah, that makes sense. But I, one thing I think. We all appreciated on the original hot tub episode is when we sort of started venturing out past just like traditional hot tubs and more into like sauna culture, um, which is huge in Iceland. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we even ended up talking about like how popular it is to like cook meats whilst taking a schwitz. You know? It's Finland where they have the okay. uh, cutouts in the sauna. That's so right. you put the meat in and close it. Yeah. 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 Also, Sausage War episode, Anu's Expedition and all. There you go. There also, you go. Finland, uh, one thing that I love about the apartments there, it's so weird what's considered basic accommodation from country to country. In Finland, it is considered basic accommodation for your apartment to have a sauna. Yeah, exactly. Which is pretty neat. Well, then, you know, sauna culture is, is big in Iceland as well. Um, in uh, Holsvlur, I'm going to say, H-V-O-L-S-V-O umlaut L-L-U-R. Uh, there's a place called the Hotel Renga. <laughs> ah, yes, yes. Ah, yes, the Hotel Renga. You can spot the Mount Hecla volcano from three outdoor riverside hot tubs at Hotel Renga, located in a pastoral corner of South Iceland. Visit during the Northern Lights and you can request an Aurora alarm clock to make sure you catch a night sky lit with color or stargaze from the hotel's standalone observatory, complete with retractable roof. But when the sun's up, you ask? Well, you'll explore glacial caves, take a scenic flight over Mount Hecla, and fish for salmon in the East Ranga River. You can just reach in there and grab them with your hands. They're just lousy uh, with salmon. It's also it's cheaper than going to the restaurants in Iceland, to be honest. Yeah, apparently you. everything is prohibitively expensive in Iceland. And it makes sense because it's so remote, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, hard to get that. It's like, I don't know if you guys have been keeping up with the new uh, season of True Detective where they're in Alaska, oh, yeah, but yeah, there's yeah, yeah. one really telling, kind of not like particularly exciting detail, but like Oreos cost like $25 there because yes. like it's the the import and export, just the, the, getting the Funyuns there. You know, it's a, it's a it's a difficult proposition. It really is, and I know that show is quote unquote controversial to some folks, but I like it. I love I, it. The, the I, new episode that came out yesterday, I thought was a banger. No I'm excited to see where it. No, no, I, I'm I'm really excited to see where it goes. Yeah, and I think it's smart to keep it to six episodes. There, uh, it's They're leaning into the the supernatural stuff like we wanted them it. to in season one. I think it's cool. I think they're doing a fine you job. No, I love it, man, and uh, and. Uh, speaking of uh, weird things, we we have been doing that for the last uh, thirty minutes or so. Shall right, we continue? What, yeah, that's yeah. What said, speaking of uh, one thing before we move on, uh, True Detective Night Country. Uh, I think a beautiful thing they did that is so surreal is any of those moments that we see can be occurring at eleven a.m. local time. I know it's really disorienting, even just watching the show and realizing like. What time is it supposed to be? Like, are they are they going to bed late or early? Or like, exactly. anyway, it's very very interesting. Uh, highly recommend and, and put put aside any preconceived notions about what you might think about the previous seasons. Yeah, it's its own thing. Say, I think it's very well done. And do know, do 
do be honest with yourself, folks, uh, and realize that a lot of the criticism of that show is coming from the internet's love of misogyny. Just to be Absolutely. honest. Just to be honest. Yeah, because the showrunner used to be a pretty manly man, you know, uh, Nick Pizzolatto, and now this season's helmed by a woman. Um, and uh, I think a lot of people that kind of rubs Ooh. them the wrong way. Yeah, it's, Nick you was know what? acting out a little on his Instagram. I think. They can see he's he does that. I'm not a huge I'm not a huge fan of his uh, vibes in that respect. So these people can dump a bucket of cold water on your head. That's all I've got to say. You know, what we, no hot tub for them. No. <laughs> right? You know what we are. But fans speaking of, of frozen things, yeah, right. We, we've okay. got we've got double segues here. What we are fans of is weird commercials and food, and we thought uh, dating back to our November twenty fourth, twenty two, two hundred twenty. 2022 keep it all in max uh episode on uh how the there was a massive screw up on the part of swanson that led to the dawn of frozen tv dinners they actually they ordered way too much turkey that they thought they were going to move during the thanksgiving season and since they they didn't sell all the turkey they couldn't take a loss on it so they made television dinners we found uh we found a lot of weird, weird TV dinner commercials. As a matter of fact, what if we do, Noel, this was your idea. What if we do a little bit of a montage of TV dinners and then we'll just come back for the credits? You gotta have a montage. Now you gals think you're lucky you can get Swanson TV turkey dinners, but I say Swanson TV turkey dinners are a bigger break for husbands. Now, you take me. I can be early, I can be late, I can bring pals to dinner anytime I please, and get this, my wife never panics. She just takes Swanson TV turkey dinners from the freezing compartment of our refrigerator when I'm a little off schedule. Oh, and right you are, Jack. Get a world away from the everyday with new Swanson International Dinners. They take you away from the everyday to a world where the food makes you want to stay. Those real sensational, international, frozen dinners from Swanson. A fine wine is a perfect balancing of taste. So is a fine dinner. New Le Menu. Le Menu frozen dinners from Swanson. So extraordinary, you dare serve them with a vintage wine. This is an ordinary man. Honey, I'm home. We made dinner. This is a hungry man. Baby, I'm home. How was work today? A few body slams. The usual. I'm starving. What's for dinner? I made your favorite. Hungry man. And there we go. Big, big thanks to the super producer, the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Max Williams, for that lovely montage, which uh, I don't know about you, Noel, uh, left me a little famished. Yeah, specifically for uh, some kind of weird meat and three with some brown gravy, uh, gelatinous. Kinda. Also, just a jump and to bring this fact back up for the original episode, they didn't have a place to store this stuff, but they had a train that as long as the train was moving, it would refrigerate yes. and freeze oh, yeah. the turkeys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they just had a train going between, like, I think it was Ohio and New Jersey, just back, back and, and forth. forth with all Back that and forth. That was their solution was to just keep doing that. Because they were they, they were in desperate uh, danger of, of having these things spoil because right. they had way too many of them, right? And they Correct. also uh, they, they also pulled off quite a coup because the American public in the beginning 
didn't bother to ask why the main entree for all of these was turkey, inevitably. Uh, so uh, the rest is history, though, you know, and the, the, as we experienced uh, through the magic of editing. Mm hmm. And uh, speaking of magic turkeys, big shout out to the Quister, a.k.a. Dare you. Jonathan Strickland. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> <laughs> big, big thanks to AJ Jacobs, the puzzler. Check it out. Check it. Uh, Noel's going to be on uh, his show, The Puzzler, pretty soon. They just Damn. did a live show in New York. Uh, I saw well. that. It looked yeah. like a lot of fun. Yeah, I really like that guy. Super cool. Um, you know what? Though? Let's, let's let's drop the facade. We like Jonathan Strickland, too. I'm going to be the first one to say I it. I said it earlier in the previous record. episode. <laughs> I know, I know. We, we, we always say it. We love you, Jonathan. Um, huge thanks to Eves Jeffco, Chris Frasiotis here in spirit. Alex Williams, who composed this banging bippity bop that you're hearing in your ear holes right now. Mm -hmm. And big, big thanks to you, Noel. Uh, here's to more episodes in the future and also with you. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello! Acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.